Now, just to be clear, you all pick up, that's a whale sound at the end, right? I'm just wanting to make sure you didn't think that was one of us, you know, hitting our finger with a, you know, hammer or something. But, hey, listen, I don't know if you know this or not. Next year's a big year in Oregon. It is the 50th anniversary of KATU's infamous exploding whale video. That's next year. They still receive phone calls and emails from people interested in uh, re-watching the story of KATU's Paul Lindman when he reported in November of 1970, uh, 1970. As a matter of fact, three years ago, a high-quality version of the film was released. We're showing you that now. Uh, it was reported that a 45-foot-long, eight-and-a-half-ton whale was dead and had washed up on the shore near Florence. Been a long time since a whale had washed up on shore, so nobody really knew what to do. But after three or four days, it started to smell. That's when George Thornton, the State Highway Division engineer, uh, he had an idea. He figured that 20 cases of TNT, or a half, uh, half ton of dynamite, would blow the whale into disintegration. So people watched and cheered from a quarter of a mile away. And, and uh, they watched as the whale exploded. And they cheered for a few seconds. Uh, uh, because that's when eight and a half tons of whale blubber began to fall from the sky. And uh, a quarter of a mile away was a, a car, with, well, several cars were parked, but one car in particular got hit by a piece of whale blubber that was so big, I mean, it just totaled, totaled the car. And although nobody was injured, everyone was covered. Everyone was covered with rotting whale. Do you realize how sick you are that we are? So, rotting whale blubber. Uh, but interestingly, the decision to uh, publicly dynamite an enormous mammal has become one of Oregon's all-time's most bizarre moments. I, and I show you that for the obvious transition because a, the story of a giant fish has got to be one of the Bible's most bizarre moments, right? There are people who question the reality of whether this even happened or not. And, uh, and I wonder, one of the questions I have is, did Jonah wish he had, you know, half a ton of dynamite with him uh, uh, at the time? Hey, if this is your first Sunday with us, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us there. Uh, our hope, by the way, is that what we talk about here encourages your faith and helps you as... Uh, as Jason just said, to know what your next step is. Our task, our hope is to help you understand better what God is saying to you through his word. And as we look at the story of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, what he said through Jonah, not just to the people of his day, but to the people of our day as well. So to get everyone on the same page, let's, we'll start right at the very beginning of Jonah and then we'll catch everybody up. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah ran away from God, because God wanted him to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, the, the most hated enemy of Israel, as well as the most feared enemy of Israel at that time. So Jonah hopped on board a ship bound for Tarshish in the complete opposite direction. It would be as if God said, Jonah, go to Los Angeles, California. And Jonah said, how about Bangor, Maine? How about I go there, you know, instead? Verse four, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
So on your notes, I want to make sure you get this as we get started today. Uh, true for them then, true for us today. When I run from God, my life begins to self-destruct. When I run from God, my life starts to self-destruct. It didn't take long for Jonah's world to come, become unraveled. And when you run from God, listen, your life begins to unravel and come apart. And it may not happen overnight, may not happen over a weekend, but it will eventually come apart. And let me tell you what's happening when, when that's going on. Let me tell you why that's going on. Because when you turn your back on God, you turn your back on the source of wisdom and truth. And when you turn your back on the source of wisdom and truth, you begin to make unwise, misinformed decisions. And it's not because you intended to. And it's not, not because you, you meant to. And, and maybe you think you are making good decisions. But when you turn your back on the source of wisdom and truth, you make unwise decisions. And when you do that, eventually those decisions will come back to haunt you. And when people come back from making those kinds of decisions when they run from God. They have financial problems. They have marriage problems. They have money or kid problems. And they are all a direct result of running. And some people will say, and maybe you've heard someone say this. Maybe they've said this to you. How could I have been so stupid to do those? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? How could I have been so dumb? I can't believe I made those decisions. Listen, as smart as you are, as educated as you are, as careful as you are going to be, when you turn your back on the source of wisdom and truth, you make unwise decisions. It's just what happens. When you turn your back on God, you turn your back on unconditional love and acceptance. And I just want to say, and you've already found this to be true, most of us in the room, if you, if you haven't found this to be true, it's because you haven't tried it yet, but you're not going to find anyone else in this world that will love you absolutely unconditionally. And every man and woman in this room, that's what we want. We want to be unconditionally accepted and loved. The problem is when you run from God, you're running from the primary source of that acceptance and unconditional love. And so you're forced to meet it in some other way. And so for some of us, we try to squeeze that out of relationships with other people. We try to get other people to love us unconditionally. Or we buy lots of things and we try to find acceptance in all of the things that, that, we, you know, that we try to buy or, or anything else that we can think of. And it just isn't available out there, no matter how hard you try. And it's not your fault. It's just that's the way it is. It's what happens when you walk away from the source of unconditional love. You run and run and you just can't find that love because it's in your rearview mirror. You're running from it. And so you, just, you need to look in your rearview mirror and that's where you'll find it. When you turn your back on God, you also turn your back on purpose. So here is a principle of life that you have already found to be true. Everything is created for a purpose. Everything is. And the one who created it is the only one who really knows the true purpose of a thing. And you were created by God for a purpose. And you're never going to find your purpose apart from Him. That doesn't mean you can't do good things. That doesn't mean good things. It just means you're, what He's created you for, you may never figure that out. And you know what? The sad thing is, for those of us who are old enough, we know you can go through your 20s. You can blow right through your 20s thinking, I'll figure it out in my 30s, right? By the time I'm in my 30s, I'll have this figured out. Then you blow through your 30s thinking, probably in my 40s is when you, you probably in your 40s, you figure this out. And then you get midway through your 40s and you realize, you come to realize that life is just more of what you've already experienced. But I kept thinking it'd be just around, I thought it'd be just over the, I, I thought for sure when I got around the next bend, it would be, I would. And you finally reach an age where you, 
begin to glimpse the end, and you come to this realization that what's between where you are and the end is no different than what's happening right now in your life. And it's possible to get this just awful sense of purposelessness. And all of a sudden, you come face to face with something you, you'll never find apart from your creator. And listen, everyone who runs slowly self-destructs because of those things. But it gets worse. Verse 4, let's look at this again just to set up verse 5. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down, and he fell into a deep sleep. Like most sailing crews in those days, they were probably from all over the world, and they all worshiped different gods, small g, gods. So you've got this violent storm happening, and you've got one guy on the stern crying out to his God, one guy on the bow crying out to his God, somebody up on the mast crying out to his God, and everyone is praying except the man of God, the prophet of God. So verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we won't perish. Hey, buddy, wake up. We need all the gods we can get because we are going to die. This is on your notes, by the way. I want to make sure you get this. When I run from God, I also always hurt the people who are closest to me. When I'm running, it's going to happen. If you're anywhere near me, you are going to get hurt. If you live with, hang with, date, run with, marry someone who is running from God, as their life unravels, you will be negatively impacted by that. In the story of Jonah, we see when the storm comes up, the sailors have to jettison their cargo, because, uh, 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 which means that they're going to lose money, right? They jettison the cargo. They're going to lose money. When they get to port with no cargo, what else are they going to lose? They're going to lose their jobs. So they're losing their cargo. They're going to lose their jobs. But right now, in the middle of the storm, what are they afraid of losing? We got to get rid of this because if we don't, we're going to lose our life. We're going to die. And what did they do for all this to happen? All they did was they let a guy on boat who was running from God. Hey, dads, if you're running from God and your, your wife and kids are going to be injured by the shrapnel of the decisions that you're making. And it won't be their fault. They will be innocent victims. And you can pray to God to protect them if you want. But it will happen. Here's what I fear. I fear we have a whole generation of children in this country who will possibly pay the price of their whole lives because mom and dad are runners. And they thought they could protect their children. And you can't from this. Single adults, teenagers, you ever wonder why your parents freak out when you date certain people? It's because they're a third party that looks over your life. And when you start to hook up with someone who is running from God, and I don't care how pure your life is, I don't care how, how, how committed you are to reading the word and to to walking with God. Listen, when you connect yourself to someone who is running from God, when their life begins to unravel, the fallout is going to hit you because you're too close. It's a principle. People who run injure the people that are too close 
to them. Might be good to listen to mom and dad, maybe. But here's the great news. You ready? God will try to get me to come back. If you are running, if you find yourself this morning a runner, if you're a runner, just like Jonah. By the way, was Jonah a Christian? Technically, no. That, that hadn't happened yet, right? Jesus hadn't, right? But is he a follower of God? He's a prophet of God. He's, he's employed by God, right? And he's running from God. So here is God trying to bring him back. What we discover in the story of Jonah, which is also part of our story, by the way, is that God in his grace and mercy will involve himself in the unraveling. He will plop himself right in the middle of our consequences, right in the middle of our pain. He will do whatever he can to bring you back, even if it means increasing the consequences and the pain of your decisions. And he doesn't do that, by the way, he doesn't do that to pay you back. He's trying to bring you back. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sins. He paid for your life. He will go to all, there's, there is nothing he won't do to bring you back. And if it means allowing you to suffer, if it means allowing you to bump up against the consequences of your decisions or the decisions of someone near you, if it means exaggerating the consequences, he will do that because he will do anything to bring you back. And I think, by the way, Jonah is about to get that connection because in verse 7 we read, then the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and fell on Jonah. I don't know the last time you cast lots to make a decision, but people in those days would cast lots to make big decisions like dividing land or narrowing a list of candidates. In Proverbs 16, we read that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. They believe that when they prayed that God would direct the decision being made by the, by the dice. In Jonah's case... We're watching lived out the saying, you can run, but you can't hide, right? That's what's going on in Jonah's life. Verse 8, so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble on us. What do you do for a living anyway, right? Where are you from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, in the regions of the Near East, the God who was the supreme God was the one who ruled the seas. So if you controlled the seas, you were seen as the big dog, at least to those who were dyslexic. Dog. Give it a minute. Dog. Dyslexic. Okay. I can't even say dyslexic. Good night. All right. But you got to be sharp to stick with us, all right? Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a congregation of very smart people. Verse 10. <laughs> you may be questioning that. Verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he's already told them so. Even these guys knew you shouldn't do that. They don't even know Jonah's God, but they know enough not to run from him. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to, make, uh, do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And I'm telling you, you know there were guys on that boat that as soon as he said, throw me into the sea, they were like, give me one of his legs. He's going over. But the rest of the guys were like, no, we can't do this. So in verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. That word for row, by the way, means to dig in. Here are seasoned sailors. They are 
they are doing everything they know how to do, digging in as hard as they could. But they had seen their share of storms as sailors. They knew that they were not going to ride this one out. So in verse 14, when they, then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Please don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Bible makes it very clear that from time to time, storms will blow into our lives. Sometimes they are a result of the decisions that we have made, and we reap the consequences of our decisions. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea would write, uh, if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. And I wonder how many of us in the room would be able to say, you know, I got to tell you, the storm stopped when I stopped hanging out with those folks. Or it was interesting to me because the storm seemed to stop the moment I poured the bottle down the drain or flushed the pills down the toilet. Or when I collected all that bitterness and anger and I tossed it overboard. It's interesting to me, the storms in my life seem to calm down. And I just want to say, it is a good day when the storm stops. Because when the storm stops, peace begins to come back into your life. And maybe a peace that you've even forgotten could be there. So we're just going to stop here for a moment. We're going to pause on this question. Why do I run from God? But remind me again, Jonah's a prophet. Does he know who God is? Works for God, right? Follower of God. That's just to remind you, even those of us who follow God run from him from time to time. All of us in the room do that. Why do we do that? And for some of us or some of our friends right now, why are they running right now? Why are we running from God right now? Let me give you some reasons. Sometimes I run because like Jonah, I'm not sure I heard him right. Or I'm pretty sure I heard him right and I don't want to do what he said. You want me to take what job? You want me to sit next to who at lunch? You want me to call who? Forgive what? You want me to forgive who? What? You want me to release what? And where when God calls us, when what he calls us to is too uncomfortable, we run. Sometimes I run because I have a rebellious spirit. No one's going to tell me what to do. My wife's not telling me what to do. I'm my own man. My husband's not telling me what to do. I'm my own woman. Not my parents. Not that preacher. Not God. I am my own person. I do what I want. Sometimes I run because I don't really know him. We're not sure what he's like. And maybe if you grew up in a home where if our heavenly father is anything like your earthly father, quite frankly, you don't want anything to do with him. Or maybe you've seen God as an overzealous policeman. <laughs> and he's got the, the gun out and he's just waiting to clock you going too fast so he can pull you over. Or maybe you picture him as the teacher who had that red pen, who seemed to have that perverse pleasure of saying, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong. Or maybe you see him as that little old man in the sky. He's got that flowing white hair and the big, long white beard. He's just rocking away on the old front porch out there, pretty much out of touch with everything. Nice guy, but not a lot of power. And instead of slowing down to actually learn the truth about who God is, we just decide we're going to run from him. Or maybe I think I know him, but I'm not real sure I can trust him. I mean, thanks for the cross. I appreciate the salvation. It's what I really wanted from you in the first place. But that whole thing about Lord, you know, boss, 
being the driver of the car. Yeah, I'm not sure I can go with that. I mean, you're free to ride with me if you want. Have you seen that bumper sticker that said, if God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat? Some people don't believe that. They believe they're right where they belong. I belong behind the wheel. If God wants to ride in the car with me, that's cool. I'm great. With, I'm up with that. I mean, if he wants to bless the things I decide I'm going to do, that's great. But if he thinks he's going to tell me what to do, if he thinks his word gets to direct my life, he's got another thing coming. May I say, if you are most comfortable behind the wheel with him beside you, you are running from him. Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Isaiah 40 reminds us that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There is just something about running with God in life that gives us energy and strength. And here's what I want to make sure you get. So far in this story, even when Jonah ran from God, God ran with him. Even though Jonah was trying to run away from him, God pursued him. And I got to tell you, that's, that's the story of Jonah, but it's a story that's a whole lot older than Jonah, right? He goes all the way back to the beginning, and there's room on your notes. I don't know if you notice that little block of space. You can draw this in your notes if you want to. The very first book of the Bible tells us that we were created for relationship with God. It all started in the Garden of Eden. It's the story of Adam and Eve. But at some point, they decided to disobey God. They ran from him. And that running caused a separation between them and God. And we know that today, I mean, that was their problem, but that's not my problem. My problem is I made a decision and ran from God. Your problem is you made a decision and ran from God. Our sin causes us to run away from him. And since we know we're involved in this, we try to do things even when we're running. Even when we're running. So we go to church, right? We're running right now, but we're here in church. So that's pretty good, right? And we try to do enough good things and not do enough of the bad things so that we can somehow be good with God. And we help people, but we get frustrated because at some point we realize all these things that we're doing, even going to church, doesn't seem to make any difference in our lives. We keep falling short. And that's a problem because if it continues throughout this lifetime and into the next, it's what the Bible calls hell. It's this eternal separation from God. Hell is the absence of God's grace, the absence of God's mercy. And we know we don't want that. The good news of our faith is that Jesus, when we were running from him, he ran to us. And he gave himself for us on the cross. It says, the Bible tells us there's just three things we need to do. If we want to reconnect, if we want to make this connection with God, stop running and join with him, there's three things we need to do. Number one is we need to believe. John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. And I just want to say, ask, do you believe this? And there are some people who say, yeah, but I need to know more. No, you actually don't. You're at the beginning of the race. You're not at the end. This is where you begin. If you believe this, you are ready to work your way through the rest of it, but you start here. And the Bible says, this is all you need to start. If you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died for a sin problem that you have, that you couldn't do anything about, that he came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for you, raised three days later from the dead. 
and is now in heaven preparing a place for those who follow him. If you believe that, man, you're ready for step number two, which is you repent. And a repent is just a Bible word that means turn your life around, do a 180. You're headed the wrong, you are running from God in the wrong direction. And so you need to turn around and come back. And when you do that, your sins will be wiped out and there will be times of refreshing that come from the storm. The storm will begin to stop. And the third thing the Bible says that we do is that we're baptized. Matter of fact, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, repent and be baptized, all of you. And he says, actually, for the forgiveness of your sins and so that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you have a heavenly father who wants to run with you, but he loves you enough that you have to choose. He's not going to make you. You have to choose whether you want to invite him to run with you or not. You can run from God or you can run to God. It's your choice. I saw something on Facebook that I really liked. It didn't even have a cat playing a piano or anything in it. Uh, but it was called, the, it said it was the difference between religion and relationship. Religion says, man, I just blew it. I hope God doesn't find out. Relationship says, man, I just blew it. I need to talk to dad. You get to choose when you run, because we all run. All of us run from God at one time or another. You get to run from him or you get to run to him. It's your choice. So we're going to sing a song that reminds us of that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to say, if you're running this morning, and again, the Bible tells us that all of us run from time to time. If you are running from, you're, you're in church. It feels like you're not running, but, but you know you're making decisions that run contrary to him. Can I tell you that the Bible tells us that all you have to do is talk to dad. If you're a follower of his, all you have to do is talk to him and ask him for forgiveness. And when you ask God for forgiveness, do you know what happens? What does he do? Immediately, 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 he forgives you. But you have to run to him for that. And if you've come here this morning and you've been thinking about this, I had someone come up to me after first service and say, listen, can we talk about this? If you've been thinking about this and you want to run with God, you're tired of running from him, you're tired of the storms in your life, and you want to run with God, we can do something about that. I'm going to be right up front. I'll be right there during the song if you want. You can come up after service. I'll be right down here. If you want to run with God and you've never made that decision before in your life, please, before this day is over, before the sun sets, don't let the light disappear from the sky before you make your decision to follow him. Won't we pray? God, thank you for the chance to be reminded in the story of Jonah, a prophet, someone that you sent on a holy mission to help other people come to you. He decided to run away from you uh, before he even undertook the mission. And God, we see in his life what happens in our own lives when we decide to run too, when we make decisions that run contrary to where you would lead us. So God, thank you for fighting so hard to bring us back. 
Thank you for being willing to do anything because it's not just this lifetime that hangs in the balance. It's eternity that hangs in the balance. It's way bigger than this life, way bigger. And you've already sent your son to do something about it. If we'll just listen, if we'll just allow you to love us and show us the best way to live. And so God, for this moment, for those in the room who belong to you, who have made decisions that are sending them off in the wrong direction. Even while we sing, even while I'm praying, God, if they need to talk to you about that, I pray they would. I'm grateful that you hear my prayers when I make decisions that run from you. So God, please help us as a church to be people who admit our faults, admit our weaknesses and our struggle with sin and come running back to our dad who loves us so much. So Father, for those who are in the room who've never made that commitment to you, may they wrestle with that. May they squirm because of it. May you make them so uncomfortable and so tired of the storm going on in their life that they would come running to you and make the decision to not just make you the savior of their life, but the Lord of their life. God, as we sing this song, pull us toward you, we pray, in the name of your son, Jesus.